What if we were more open to that kind of space, thin space, where we are expectant of the holy in our midst? This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Gedjade Peters-Peterson, Associate Dean and Director of Formation at Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, and Bill Gettler, Associate Dean for Ministerial and Social Leadership and Lecturer in Parish Leadership and Church Administration. They're discussing John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, which is appointed for the fifth Sunday in Lent in year A. Here's the text. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. 
They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So the raising of Lazarus story really isn't about Lazarus at all. Didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God, Jesus says. So it's a story about deliverance from death to life. Um, The one who brings that about... And the responses of people around them who have a chance to experience that. Lazarus is kind of just a, I would say, bystander, but I guess he's not really standing, is he? I, I like this. You said, the story of the raising of Lazarus is not about Lazarus. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> he's got nothing to do with this it's, story. <laughs> he's hard, hardly there. <laughs> he's a silent witness. So we've got this miracle worker, Jesus, right? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I feel like a, there is a lot to what you say. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, when something miraculous happens to someone that's similar, for example, people I know who have recovered from um, addiction to drugs and alcohol, and the first part of them being brought back from that brink of death, or sometimes even literal death, they may not have a lot that's coherent to say. Yeah. And and so the people who are actually— So his silence makes sense to you. To me, it does. Yeah. I think the people who have a lot to say are often the people who weren't in the sick and suffering place. They're just like, oh, my God, and it's all different now. But it may take you four or five years to integrate that. So that's sort of like a intellectualized thing. But also the urgency, the, in, the, the sort of the fire in the story to me is in that sentence, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm-hmm. And I think that— at least in, in, in the tradition I'm coming from, uh, that story is one of the stories we appoint for possibly for use in a funeral because that is the feeling I hear a lot, especially from young young persons whose spouse partner has died. Um, I've never had the tragedy of having to preside over the funeral of a child, but I certainly have met people when that child has 
died and now we're talking about the aftermath. This is the feeling you have. So here I served you and I loved you and I told you. And and if you had actually shown up for me, this would not have happened. That rage that's underneath that. And then that's coupled with that Jesus crying. It's one of the most intimate portraits we have of Jesus and his relationships with people, not as son of God, but as human being who had friendships. And that didn't mean that he could make everything be okay every moment. But a part of us wants that to be so. The God who has power over life and death should be able to intervene at will, will at our will, to... Oh, that's key right there. I don't think that is, I mean, I would say I have a kind of a high view of Jesus's power. I think Jesus can do anything Jesus wants to do, but at our will, exactly. And she's even, I mean, you think I called that, you. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come when I called you? And then why don't you do what I wanted you to do? And I, and I guess that the other part is that we're hearing the multiplicity of things Jesus is dealing with, because on one level, there is a sense of deliverance, but we've already been promised liberty. He tells her, you know, he's going to be, he's, don't you believe in this resurrection? Haven't you heard about this? And she's like the rest of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what about, yeah. what about today when Show I'm standing at this grave? Show me my brother. Make this be different. And I think that in some ways I see this as an an antidote to what some people charge John with, which is your soul, you know, this the mystical Jesus going about and everything's pat, pat, pat. This is not a finished story. There is a sense of the disruption of Jesus, the dissatisfaction and disappointment that was a part of this ministry. It, it wasn't like everybody got everything cured. And and I think that that part, the, the, the particularities of these miracle stories is also part of the challenge, right? So how many times have we prayed and it didn't happen? What do we right. make of all that? Of the, all of the mystical claims of faith, really, and and are and is it an all or nothing thing that mm. that we can pick and choose that 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 either God acts in miraculous ways to fix our lives or God does not? Because mm. I've seen I've seen both, and you know I can certainly say that I personally know um, situations where what what we would say medically is just unexplained you know, drastic changes in health. And, you know, that's happened for the good and the ill. You know, there's people I think, oh, wow, you really deserve to have that turnaround. People I think, oh, wow, if I were the judge of the universe, I'm not sure I would have chosen you. But that's why I'm not the judge of the universe. But going back to the um, to the, the situation with healing, it's also what is healing? And I think about, you know, both you and I have been parish ministers, and I know that I've experienced times when I've been at that bedside with people who were deeply not reconciled to the people in their lives. And I've seen, I remember the sort of most profound experience I had of healing, a person who struggled with with a variety of life challenges that had estranged them from their family, basically. And gathering the family around the bedside and the forgiveness that happened in that moment, it truly was from God because I don't think that was humanly possible and when the woman died about 15 minutes later, there was a peacefulness over that family and the gratitude they had for her life and the acceptance they had. That came. That was a miracle because in human terms, it's not possible. I think about that being the space that, that Jesus enters here. He has, he has no fear at this place of, of death and of, and of terror within a family's life. And, and he, he kind of defines that 
that thin space between heaven and earth that we sometimes talk about. That's where he resides, and and that's the presence that he brings into that moment. That sounds quite a lot like you're talking about being at that hospital hospital bed, where where the spirit of God is present in unexpected and and remarkable ways. I want to say tangible, but it's kind of maybe the opposite of tangible. And I and I partly hear from this story what would happen if we more often resided there? What if we were more open to that kind of space, thin space, where we are expectant of the holy in our midst? I mean, I think about, I mean, I guess I'm someone who I do believe in the miracle claims, and I do believe that God is beyond me. And I also, you know, I trust that we uh, scientifically can do things too. I think about Harriet Tubman, and one of the sort of unexplained things about her life is that somehow she had this definitely not from this world view of what she should do and never was caught and did, you know, these incredible escape, you know, plannings for for enslaved people, you know, liberating people. And she would say, God told me to do this. God told me to go here, to go to this place and pick up this thing. And this is, this is, these are things that are, are documented. And so I feel like the God that I believe and know uses many things to, for the deliverance of human beings, some of which are understood by me and some of which are not. And I feel like the, the ultimate mystery in this for me is it's okay to be Martha and to be Mary and to ask for a thing. And it's okay to have your heart broken because we know and trust that we are people of faith and it will be remade and we will be able to survive that. But to to believe that your God can deliver you, absolutely. To believe that what you want to have happen will happen, you can believe that. But sometimes that will not be what happens. And that doesn't make God any less provident. So those are two completely different questions, really. Absolutely. Yeah, one is, can we own that place of hurt and of grief? Can we we, um, still be in relationship with God in the midst of of very hard times, and we can. And at the same time, can we also be open to that that holy activity that that will move in us? Though we don't know exactly what it's going to do. We, by its very definition, we don't we we don't get to call what that holy activity is going to do. Maybe only that God is there. Precisely, and I and I thinking about a professor that um, taught here for a while who said something. He was quoting another wise thinker, and he said, "You know, pray fervently for what you desire." And know that either you will receive your heart's desire or God will transform your heart. And I've stayed with that because it's been true in my life. And I think in this situation, she received her heart's desire. But there are other situations, even within that very gospel, where people didn't receive their heart's desire, but their heart was transformed. And so I think we can fervently pray. We can ask and we can even cry to God and we can even be angry with God. And that, that our, our faith is supple enough to do that and that God will either give us the desires of our hearts or change the desire of our hearts if we are truly open to that honest conversation. Precisely what you said, what God's doing there, we don't know. Let's talk a little more about that follow the science thing. Mm. So that, that's, been, that's been a theme that certainly has, has been part of pandemic talk mm-hmm. and, and the need to, to pay attention to what science is doing mm. and to not pray away the science, mm. to not imagine that just use you know, magical thinking to think that things will be different. Does faith require us to, uh, to disregard science? 
uh, <laughs> as the sister, kind of a setup there. Huh? Well, as a sister, a public health scientist, I would say absolutely <laughs> not. I think that I don't follow. I follow Jesus, but I believe that science is an important tool. I believe God has gifted people to explore the known world in a way that allows us to access things that other people would thought of as miraculous. In my own, I think about knowing my my grandmother who is ninety seven this year, and she remembers. There's a reason why people who are over eighty eight eagerly go and get these vaccines. Because they remember a time when people died with what would then be cured by penicillin. That's what my great-grandfather died of when she was when my grandmother was 10 years old. They remember a time when there were no vaccines and children died of measles and mumps and rubella. And, and I think part of it is those are miracles to someone who saw people trapped in the iron lung. It's a miracle there's no polio. So what what is miraculous to someone who's 97 and lived through all of that and what's miraculous will be records to me if I'm lucky enough to live long will be two will be many things, right? But the reality is God worked through human ingenuity to create possibilities that that have transformed life. So yeah, I don't follow science, but I I, I thank God for science. And I think, yeah, I think that that juxtaposition is really irritating. I too am frustrated by it. And I, sad. I, it. I follow the science and expect that God is in the very midst of those things. Absolutely. Two ways of saying the same. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And thank you, Deans Peterson and Gettler, for your insights on John. Remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And visit our website, YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season. Season.